Well, once again, good morning and Merry Christmas. I don't know if I said that, but Merry Christmas. I love to say it because, you know, really people get weird if you say it in July. So I got to say it as much as I can in the month of December. Um, But you guys know that I've been listening to Christmas music for many, many months now. So not really. I, I think this year I didn't start until maybe October. Anyway, um, hey, it's really good to be with you this morning. I'm glad that you're here and gathered to worship with us in person. For those who are online, again, we welcome you as well. Some of you may have just joined us, and we're certainly glad to have you with us as well. Um, But before we jump into the sermon, I have a couple of announcements that I forgot about. Uh, I know, I know, imagine that. Um, But I forgot about them, so I wrote them on my card on the back. So a couple of things. Number one. Uh, most of you are probably wondering about the Christmas walk because uh, we saw some of you guys out there. Some of you were out there helping. We had so many people come by our booth at the Christmas walk. And for those of you who don't know, we gave away a gift bag. And on the outside, there was a sticker. Inside, there was coloring books, comic books, some candy, devotional books, different things, depending on which bag you got. But on the outside, there was a sticker and it had a QR code. And if they scanned the QR code, it took them to that video that I showed earlier, the guy lighting himself on fire. So, boy, that sounds weird if you didn't see the video. Anyway, um, so, so that was really, really cool. I was really excited to do that. And I want to tell you, we had, th- just to tell you what kind of popularity our stuff had, we had 300 bags to give out. We had 300 bags, and they were gone in about an hour and 15 minutes. And we're sitting there, we're like, yeah, we got three hours left, and we got nothing else to give out. We got some candy, and that's it, you know. And so, but uh, we had a little photo booth, photo op thing set up in the back of a truck. Karen Cox was in charge of the whole thing. She did a great job. And that photo booth place was like, it was super popular. I was, I mean, like, I was, I was shocked how, I mean, I knew people like to take pictures and selfies and all that stuff, but, like, people are putting their kids up there and their grandkids and everything, and I've got some pictures. Um, I'm going to get them put into a video, and I'll, I'll show that uh, probably next week and get that out, and I'll probably roll it out on Facebook this week, too. Uh, we've got, thanks to, thanks to Karen and Jerry Jones, they took a picture of their grandkids, and I was like, hey, send me those, so... Uh, they're on there too, but I was like, because I realized I got towards the end, I was like, oh, I didn't take very many pictures. So anyway, I've been collecting them from other people. So uh, we'll show you what that looked like in case you couldn't make it. Um, the other thing I just want to mention is just a reminder of some people to pray for. Um, I got a text message this morning from Chris Coy, uh, which some of you are like, a text message? Can you do that from China? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I, I'm shocked every time that I, because it's really cool, because I grew up in an era where, like, what's a text message, right? Um, and, and so it's really cool that I can get on and text someone on the other side of the world, but he, he just texted me, and so just a reminder to be praying for him uh, as he is as, uh, working with the State Department over there. And then um, also uh, want to be praying for Tyler Harrison, of course, who's a missionary as well. We talked about Kurt coming. We have one of our very own that, that we support, and so be, continue to be praying for him. And then um, be praying for Frank and Sue Ann Bastendorf. Frank, uh, was, uh, they, Frank has COVID, um, and, uh, and, and Sue Ann is sick as well. I don't know if she's been tested for it or not, but Frank was in the hospital for a little bit, just overnight once. Um, but he's home and seems to be getting better and getting stronger, um, but Sue Ann's kind of feeling weak. So just be praying for them. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it would be a good week to give them a call or send a text message. Don't go over, um, unless you want to just go leave something on the porch and make sure you tell them that you're doing that. So, um, so they know that it's there or whatever, but yeah, um, be, be thinking and, and praying about them or praying for them, excuse me. And then also, um, Betty, who is Karen Cox's, uh, cousin is in the hospital with coat, huh? Oh, Becky, I'm sorry. I said, Betty, Becky, 
I apologize. Uh, Becky, um, and you, some of you guys saw that. We put the announcement up on the Faith Life group, but just continue to be praying for her. She has, she has three children, right? Three children. So she's in the hospital with COVID and is not doing real well. So uh, please be praying for her and for the whole family. So um, anyway, those are the things that I just wanted to remind you of. Um, and if you have questions about those, I will be around afterwards and I can give you, if you need names or people to pray about or anything like that, I can be sure to give those to you. Um, But now I want to turn our attention to the Bible, to the sermon. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning, verses 67 through 80. Now, if you want to follow along with the sermon outline, we have an interactive sermon outline online. You can get to that by scanning the QR code right there on the screen with your phone. And it will take you to an interactive outline um, that is like fill in the blank. But don't worry if you miss one. There's a fill-in feature where that'll, that'll do it for you. Um, and, then it'll, and you can take notes and you can link to the scripture there. And it'll, uh, you can export it as a PDF and it'll, it'll email the PDF right to you. So uh, anyway, really, really excited about that. Excited that you, you can follow along in that way. Now, while you're finding your place in Luke chapter 1 or scanning and getting there, I want to tell you a little bit about me growing up because that's how I decided to lead into the sermon, okay? <laughs> but I grew, up, I grew up in Iowa, but my mom is originally from northern Mississippi, and about a year ago, she and my stepdad moved back to southern Mississippi, to Hattiesburg. But um, my mom loved music, and she still loves music. She's, she's still with us. She loved music. And grew up listening to, in Mississippi, northern Mississippi, listening to all these Motown artists. Okay, she listened to all of them. Uh, when, when I talk about my vinyl records, she's like, oh, do you, have the, do you have the four tops? You know, do you have the temptation? I'm like, no, 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 mom. I do have Elvis, and she loves Elvis. So she always makes sure to tell me she saw Jailhouse Rock in the theater five times. Always like this, right? Uh, but anyway, uh, so mom grew up, and, and, and she passed on a love of music to me as well, and, and to my brother. But I can remember when I was younger, she had a Marvin Gaye tape that we listened to in the car. And, uh, and a cassette tape, right? Now, at the time, I was really only interested in it because he sang the California Raisins song. And some of you, yeah, if you're laughing, you know what I'm talking about. And if you're not laughing, you're just too young, sorry. But the, he sang, you know, I heard it through the grapevine, right? I, I, anyway, later in life, I became a, an appreciator of his other tunes as well. I remember, um, in fact, I remember I went to a uh, a wedding, I was in a wedding for a good friend of mine, I was his best man, and it was time for, I think they did the mother-son dance, and then they had, op- you could request songs and stuff after that, and I requested what's, uh, what's going on, and I got my mom out there and danced with her, so that's just kind of a fun memory, but as I was preparing for this message, though, I found this, this story or this retelling about Marvin Gaye um, that was recounted by a guy named Thabiti Anabwile, there'll be a test on spelling that later. Uh, but Thabiti says this, soul music began largely as a genre focusing on ballads. The pioneers of soul music were crooners who belted out sultry lyrics for lovers. Marvin Gaye was perhaps one of the most famous soul singers of his era. I think he still is, by the way. Gaye, who grew up in a pastor's home in Deanwood neighborhood of Washington, D.C., became the poster boy of smooth, sultry, romantic sound with hits like How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You, I Heard It Through the Grapevine, Woo! and Tammy Terrell, Ain't no mountain high enough, and, uh, and with Tammy Terrell, sorry, and uh, you're all I need to get by. However, by the 1960s, many artists and genres of music had become more concerned with political issues and causes of the day, including Marvin Gaye. He released a string of chart-topping hits like his 1971 tune, What's Going On, Inner City Blues, Makes Me Want to Holla, and Mercy, Mercy Me. 
What's going on in Mercy, Mercy Me captured the anguished cry of a disenchanted and disenfranchised generation. The songs were urban laments longing for an almost mythic day when things like hunger and war would cease to exist. In other ways, the songs gave voice to a question, a a prayer really, that almost almost irrepressibly escapes one's lips amidst life's turmoil. Gay seemed to be crying out with his generation for mercy. The cry for mercy is as old as humanity's fall in the garden. It's been uttered, whispered, and yelled in every generation among every people since sin entered the world. When we reach those limits, something in us looks for mercy. Now, I bet you didn't think this morning that you were going to come to church and hear about Marvin Gaye, okay? I'm sure you didn't. But when I, th- when, when I read that and, and when I saw the way he was talking about that, that sort of cry, because we think of it, oh, it's a good pop song, right? Uh, but we think about that, that deep cry for mercy that's almost inescapable from your lips. And it, as we turn to this prophecy, this hymn, this song of, uh, of Zechariah in the, the book of Luke, there's that kind of, that kind of talk about mercy because of where the people in Israel were. They were dwelling in darkness, in oppression. And they'd been promised this Messiah, but they were waiting And the cry for mercy has been answered in Jesus Christ. Our God is full of tender mercy. Now, he'd been merciful to Zechariah and Elizabeth by giving them a son uh, who was John the Baptist, okay? Now, their son would be the forerunner uh, of the ultimate mercy that is Jesus. John would prepare the way for Christ. Now, if you'll recall from last week, I'm going to give you kind of a summary of the story up to this point for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was, he was a priest, so he would be the one that would go in and serve um, in the Holy of Holies, right? He would go in in the temple and serve. And he and Elizabeth were older. She was barren. They couldn't have children together. The angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah while he's in the temple serving and tells him that Elizabeth is going to conceive and bear a son. But Zechariah didn't believe it, so the angel Gabriel said, you're not going to be able to speak You're not going to be able to talk until these things happen. So here we are in our passage today. We're after the birth of John on the eighth day when they take him. And when Zechariah had written, because he couldn't talk, so they gave him something to write with. When he wrote, his name is John, then his tongue was loosened. And that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 67. So in verse 67, you can follow along in uh, in your Bibles or on the screens behind me. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins 
because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word. And God, right now as I explain your word, I pray you'd help me to be clear. I pray you would open our hearts and our minds. Help us to understand. Help us to see you in this scripture. Help us to see ourselves in relation to you. And help us apply it to our lives to change the way we live, Jesus. God, we're so weak. I'm, I'm tired and you know that. God, I just pray you would increase and I would decrease. You be big here, Jesus. This is about you. It's for you. I pray that there would be nothing that's just of me, that you would clear me out and don't let me hijack this in any way because it's about you, Jesus. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. In Jesus' name I pray. So just like last week when we talked about Mary's song, there was this uh, kind of funky Latin name for it that we call it the Magnificat. Well, just like that, this week, this, this hymn of Zechariah, this prophecy of Zechariah is known as the Benedictus. And really the only thing, you, 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 don't, you can forget that if you want, because that's not, knowing that name for it's not that important. But the reason it's called the Benedictus is because it's from the Latin, of, Latin version of the first word of uh, the first word of this section in the Latin Vulgate, which was an ancient Latin translation of the Bible. So it's not, so that, that Benedictus, that Magnificat, comes from, this old Latin translation of the Bible. So it's not that important that you remember that, but if somebody's talking about the Benedictus, you'll know they're talking about Zechariah's song, okay? Uh, so the first thing here that we see is Zechariah responds to what God has done, but he responds to what God has done with spirit-filled praise. And we see that in verse 67. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a significant truth, because it signifies that God has renewed his presence among his people. Um, if, if we were to look at Isaiah 32, 14 through 17, it, it kind of connects with this. It says, For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted. The hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field and the effect of, the, of righteousness will be peace and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. So we have this connection that, that, that God, who had been silent for several years, and we'll get to that back to that in just a minute, uh, but God who had been silent now was renewing his presence among his people. He filled, he was filling Zechariah with the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, a lot of what we saw was the Holy Spirit working on people, kind of more from um, moving among the people. We see that a lot. But after Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within believers. So if we trusted in Jesus Christ, now we, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But here we have Zechariah, 
who didn't have that before this, right? Who gets filled with the Holy Spirit in order to give this praise, this prophecy, this, this hymn uh, really of worship and prophecy and praise. And this signified that things were changing. That things were changing. There was movement starting to happen. In Isaiah 44, 1 through 4, remember, Isaiah's writing this stuff hundreds of years before. He says, but now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows. By flowing streams. So here we have, hundreds of years later, things being written, and here we see them beginning to be fulfilled. And it's just more confirmation that God will do exactly what God says he will do. You can trace it back to the beginning of time. God will do what he says he will. Will do. In verse 68, when Zechariah says that God had visited and redeemed his people, this redemption includes both corporate and individual aspects to it. See, as, as God's people, Israel were delivered from their enemies and individuals, or excuse me, were delivered from their enemies, and as individuals, they would experience forgiveness for their sins that was granted only through God's plan of salvation. It's granted only through Jesus Christ, his death in our place for our sins on the cross. But then in verse 69, he uses a phrase, the horn of salvation. Now this phrase appears, if you look back in the tradition of, of David, King David, this, this phrase like horn of salvation, this, this idea of a horn, um, it appears throughout there. Now a horn, and we understand this culturally, a horn there for them was a symbol of strength. So we're, stop, we're talking about the horn of salvation, the strength of salvation. That God is mighty and strong and his salvation is strong and mighty. And we know that God's salvation can reach down to even you who think you may be the darkest, deepest sinner. And God has the power to save through Jesus Christ to redeem that which has been lost. So we see that Zechariah is responding to this thing. Like he, God said, through the angel, angel Gabriel comes and says, you're gonna have a baby. And he's like, but we're really old. And in his mind, he's not sure how that could happen. The angel says, well, since you don't believe, uh, you're not gonna be able to talk. And so he's not able to talk. And he watches his wife, she conceives and she starts to get bigger and he can't talk. And what do you think he's thinking? Well, he's watching this and she's getting bigger. And then pretty soon she has a baby and eight days later they go to dedicate the child. And guess what? They name him John. And as soon as dad says, writes his name is John, boom. He can talk. And what we have recorded is not that he said, hey, bring me a cheeseburger, right? He didn't say, hey, honey. He didn't say, he opens his mouth and he lets loose this praise because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And his response, much like Mary's response last week that we talked about, his response to what God had done 
God keeping his promise, his response to knowing that God's salvation was coming, not through this child, but through Jesus. But this would be the prophet, the forerunner of Jesus. His response, though, to that news was to praise God for his salvation. And that salvation, point number two, has a purpose. That salvation has a purpose. He kind of lays it out in verses 72 through 75. See, the goal here was not something as simple as physical freedom. I mean, when you read that in 72, to show mercy, uh, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now, he's not, he's not just talking about physical freedom. This isn't that simple. The goal here wasn't just that they would be free from their enemies. Do you get that? I mean, I think we read this sometimes and we think, oh yeah, so he's going to set them free from their enemies. That's the goal. That's not the only goal here. The goal is worship. They're set free from their oppressors so that they can worship Jesus. And when we're set free from our sin by Jesus, we're set free so we can worship Jesus. They're set free so they can worship. Let me explain, because it's maybe be a little confusing when you first hear it. But it's the same type of feeling here as when God told Moses to tell Pharaoh what we find in Exodus 7.16. So you remember the people, uh, the Israelites, were slaves in Egypt. They were captive in Egypt. And God tells Moses to go tell Pharaoh to let him go. He says in, in uh, Exodus seven sixteen, And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Pharaoh was to be told by Moses to let God's people go so they could go and worship him. Let us go out and worship God, serve God. Because that was the purpose of their freedom. Their purpose wasn't just so they could go run and frolic in green fields, okay? And so they'd be free to worship their God and serve their God. Physical freedom is a good goal. Look, physical freedom is a good goal. It's a great goal. But this goes beyond it to something even better. When, when the people were set free, they would be free to worship anywhere they wanted, in any way they wanted, which would be the way, in the ways that God had commanded himself to be worshipped. God will keep his covenant promise to Abraham. We see that. He, he calls it back. Zechariah even calls it back to the covenant, to remember his holy covenant, he says. If you'll remember, God made a promise to Abraham. He made a promise. And if you don't, if you don't know that, you can read about that in the Old Testament. If you want to know more about that, I can give you the reference later. But, but in, in the Old Testament, God told Abraham he'd make him into this great nation. That his descendants would be, what, a whole bunch more than the stars. Right? And he made this promise. And that Abraham's side was Abraham would serve the Lord. God always keeps his side of the promise. God will always keep his side of the promise. And there were things, you know, there's things in a covenant where if you break this covenant, this is what happens. I, I, 
all of that. But God is keeping his promise to Abraham. And Zechariah is calling it back like, hey, you know, we've been sitting here. We haven't been hearing anything for a while. God, and this is, again, this is Holy Spirit empowered worship. God will keep his promise to the covenant. There's multiple parts of this salvation. So let's look back at our passage and see what we can see. Firstly, um, in cha- uh, excuse me, verses 76 through 77, we have, we have Zechariah, he, he kind of changes a little bit the, what he's talking about. So he goes from talking about Jesus and the redemption, salvation of God's merciful, strong salvation. He kind of goes and changes to start talking about his son, right? To talking about, about John the Baptist, right? That's uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth's son. His words turn towards this new baby, his new son, that John is going to be unique among the prophets. He would soften the ground for the Messiah to come. He'll make, make ready the way, make, he'll be making ready the way for Jesus, but all the while pointing away from himself and towards God's true salvation, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is John's superior in every way because he's the son of the Most High, as in verse 32 of this chapter. But John, though, is called a prophet of the Most High. John would be the one to to plow the road, to soften the ground, to, to, to prepare the way for Jesus, that he would help soften those hardened hearts of the people by through his ministry and his preaching and prepare them to hear the true gospel of Jesus. His role, John's role, is also alluded to in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And where was it that John went and lived as he grew up in our passage? Oh, in the wilderness. Oh, in the wilderness. Zechariah's hymn of prophecy here speaks of John's life. Always in relation to Jesus' life and mission. So this guy who's singing this thankful, worshipful prophecy about his son, when he talks about his son, it's always in relationship to Jesus' life and Jesus' mission. Friends, we must... We must define our lives this way. Greatness does not come from serving ourselves and looking to get ourselves ahead. True greatness comes from humbly serving God. Just as John didn't try to replace the actual bringer of salvation, so too we should be pointing to Jesus and not trying to wrestle him for his place. But that's what we do oftentimes instead of pointing, uh, pointing towards Jesus saying, don't look at me, look at him. He's the one that should be worshipped. He's the one that should be glorified. He's the one because of what he did for us on the cross. And because he is a good God and he is holy and just and loving and merciful, we should worship him. But a lot of times we try and take that spotlight. We want to like just put maybe a little bit of that over on ourselves. Sometimes we want to drag the whole thing over and put it on ourselves. And this should not be so. John didn't. He pointed continually to Jesus 
because he was the unique forerunner of Christ. So this salvation is strong. John preached about it. He pointed to it only in Jesus. And what we find is that there's peace in salvation. There's peace in the salvation. In verses 77 through 79, I just want to read those. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to give our feet into the way of peace. Peace is an important concept in John's gospel account. Again, just like redemption and salvation, there's a danger of us thinking in, of peace or not understanding it in the right way. We should not understand this peace to be mere social or political terms. He's not talking about just no war, right? Uh, what, what's that? Uh, I, over Thanksgiving, uh, we had one of the, the soccer players on Javen's team at college that was with us, and he's from Germany. And we were talking about Christmas, and they were talking about their Christmas lists and stuff and how they did it. And he said, always, what, I'm not going to try to do the German accent, but he's, he said, just imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger saying it. I know he's Austrian, but they sounded a lot alike. Um, so anyway, he, he said, and, and uh, he said, always world peace or some nice thing. Like they always had to throw in a nice thing that they were asking for in addition to, you know, a Nintendo. Okay. It was always like, like, oh, and world peace, or no more hungry children, or, you know, something like that. That they just kind of tacked in. We're not talking about just that kind of peace, not a mere social or political peace. This points to, to actually to what one author calls as a cosmic restoration that God's final saving act will bring about. So this points to this cosmic restoration that Jesus is final act of salvation while he when he gives his life on the cross for the sins of the world will bring that about that's peace not peace just with one another not just peace between nations but peace between you and god because outside of christ we're we're god's enemy we're at war with him because we've sinned against him there's peace in salvation we'll why is there peace in salvation? How is there peace in salvation? Number one, salvation is both spiritual and personal. It's spiritual and it's personal. Humans are all in sin. We have a sin nature. Because of Adam and Eve in the garden, when they ate what God said not to eat, they could have eaten anything else in the garden except this thing, and they ate it. And when they did that, it brought sin into the world. And ever since then, all of us, all of us humans born at level playing field, we all have a sin nature except one person, Jesus Christ, who is 100% God, 100% man, born of a virgin. Even John the Baptist, because he was born the natural way, even John the Baptist had sin. Mary had sin. Jesus was the only perfect person. Whenever uh, someone in our family, you know, makes a mistake or does something wrong, we're like, oh, sorry. And my stepdad a lot of times will say, well, there was only one perfect guy in the world and they hung him on a cross. 
Sin is any action or thought. We talked about this Wednesday night. Uh, Sin is any action or thought that goes against God's perfect will or law. So it's not just actions that we do, but it's also in our thoughts. So the question is, why is sin a problem that needs to be dealt with? Well, sin is a problem that needs to be dealt with because it's against God. It's against God that we have sinned. And sin, according to scripture, must face judgment, must face the wrath of God. So here we've got a big problem. We've got all of us have sin and we're separated from God because of that sin. Because sin cannot be around a holy and perfect God. And so there's this chasm between us and God called our sin. And sin must be judged. It must be paid for. Wrath must be poured out on sin. God will judge sin. And we find in Hebrews that sin can only be removed by the shedding of blood. So something has to die to pay for the sin. Something has to experience that wrath of God poured out upon it. So sin is, or excuse me, salvation is personal and uh, spiritual. But number two, salvation brings peace because God is merciful. Salvation is because God is merciful. It's God's mercy on his followers. Mercy is the only reason that anyone's sin can be forgiven. You can't earn forgiveness for your sins, and unless you're shown mercy, you will experience that wrath of God that I talked about. But forgiveness comes only through mercy. And here's the thing, here's the great news, it's free. It's unmerited. You can't earn it, you don't deserve it, you can't demand it, and neither can I. So we must go to God and beg for his mercy, for his forgiveness for our sins. And he grants it because of Jesus. But we have a good God who gives us this promise. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful and just. He's faithful because he says he'll forgive our sins if we confess them. Just. Well, 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 how is it just if he pardons a sinner? I mean, that sin has to have wrath. That's where Jesus comes in. See, Jesus, when he was on the cross dying, for all those who believe in him, who've believed in him, who will believe in him, his, their sin He took it upon himself, literally became sin in our place, experienced the wrath of God poured out upon him that you and I deserved. He stepped in as a substitute and did it in our place. He lived a perfect life that we could never live, and he died that death, that perfect sacrificial death for once and for all, for all sin, that we could never die ourselves. We could never pay that price, but he did it so that we don't have to experience the wrath of God. And it was just because sin, our sin, was transferred to him and was punished justfully, rightfully, the way it should have been, because sin has to be paid for. Jesus didn't deserve it, but he willingly took that on, became that sacrifice for us. And then, because that verse says, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what happens is, when we place our trust in Jesus Christ... Our sin was transferred onto him on the cross. And he gives us, in exchange for our sin, he gives us not wrath, not punishment, but his righteousness. 
his right standing before God so that when God looks at you, after you've trusted in Christ, if you believe the gospel, that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus's right standing before him. Not our sin, not us as we are before Christ, but actually as his adopted child. It's good news, folks. Salvation is because God is merciful. And third, salvation brings us light. This is really key and important in this passage. When I think about this, I think a lot about um, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who mourns in lonely exile. See, the people had come through a time of about 400 years. So before this, the, the intertestamental period, we call the 400 silent years. God had not been uh, speaking with his people. Now, God is moving, okay? God's always, work. God's always at work. But God had been silent for about 400 years. Darkness. Man, can you imagine? I mean, you know how bad it feels if you haven't, like if you forgot to pray for a few days or something, or didn't read your Bible, and there's just kind of, you feel this kind of heaviness. And then you get back into it, or you go to church, and it's like, Yes. There'd been 400 silent years, but then movement starts. Movement starts. This child is foretold and then born. And a few months later, his cousin is born. And the light comes into the world. But the people at this point had been sitting in darkness and despair, waiting day after day and year after year for fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah and the other prophets that told that there was one coming to rescue Israel, a Messiah a king coming to rescue them, and yet they waited in darkness. And friends, when we're in our sin, it feels we're sitting, we are sitting in darkness in our sin. But Jesus is the rising sun, S-U-N. He's also the risen, S-O-N, sun. But he's the rising sun, he brings light. And I don't know if you've ever, um, you ever been like laying in bed and Surely no one would do this. Grabbed your smartphone and popped it open and just started scrolling. Uh, and you're in a dark room and that light pops on on your phone. And it's nearly blinding first thing in the morning, isn't it? You're like, oh, I didn't want a headache today, but I guess now I guess that's what we're doing. Or on Christmas Eve, when you're in a darkened auditorium and that first candle is lit and it's passed to the next person and the next person and it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. Because what you notice, and you notice this a lot like with a flashlight in a dark room, when light enters, darkness flees. Right? When you turn on a light, darkness runs away. Okay? Think about, you know, like cockroaches. You turn on the light, I don't have them. I just just know that's how it works. Okay? (laughs) Some of you are like, I'm never going to pastor's house ever. Didn't mean it that way. But, but really, that's how I think about the darkness. When the light of Christ shines upon our sin, the darkness has to flee. The light of God's mercy and forgiveness of sin brings us peace. So the question is, do you know this peace? Do you know this peace of God? Of having your sins forgiven? Of trusting in the good news of Jesus Christ that he died 
for your sins in your place. And he rose from the grave three days later. Has this great light risen in your soul? So I guess the question is, now to that question is, how, how will you respond? Well, if, if you take a look at verse 74 again, I want to kind of lay out some things you can kind of plug into your life and see. If you look at 74, this mercy, this salvation, this kindness and grace shown to God's people, it's not just because. It's not just so you can have a happy, fun life and do everything you want. It's shown so that this light is shown, this mercy is shown. (coughs) Excuse me. So that we would what? Look at verse 74. So we might serve him without fear. My voice was running on fumes. I'm sure glad water's cheaper than gas. So that we would serve him without fear. That we would not fear anyone and that we would not allow fear to keep us from serving and worshiping the God who had mercy on us. Jesus came and God showed us mercy so that we could worship and serve God without fear. And we live a lot of our lives in fear. We do. What will people think? Will I lose family? Will I lose friends? If I talk about Jesus at work, what are they going to think? Am I going to get called a Jesus freak? Do people still use that term? Um, And and what's going to happen? Oh, if I start talking about Jesus, they're just going to lump me in with this other political group. If I start talking about Jesus, they're going to think that I'm whatever. And the problem is, too often we fear when we have no need of fear. If we follow Jesus, if we've been saved by the good news of Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, then we can serve him without being afraid. We serve him in fear. Number two, that we would serve him in holiness, purity, being set aside for God's use. That's what that is. To be holy, to be set aside for a specific purpose. Do you serve God as if you were set aside for a specific purpose? Because in Christ, Jesus makes us holy. And so are you living a pure and holy life set apart for God's use? Are there things in your life that take away from your purity? Are there things in your life that you're about? I remember when I was a kid, my, my pastor growing up is a guy named John Shaw, and uh, uh, he uh, had all these, like, you know those name labels or mailing labels? He had a bunch of them printed up, and they just said holy on them. And he told us to take a sheet of those and everybody and go put them anywhere that you struggle with holiness. So uh, you go stick them on your TV or on your mirror or on the refrigerator, wherever, Right? A lot of people need to stick them on their computers or the phones right now. But, um, but he did that. That was so, so, so many years ago. But I thought, man, I'm supposed to serve him in holiness. And a lot of times, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I find myself, I'm doing stuff or whatever, or I'm watching something or whatever, and I'm like, yeah, step back, and I'm like, man, 
No wonder my heart's where it is. No wonder I feel like this and act like this because I'm doing things that tear down my affections for Christ rather than build them up. So what are the things that build up your affections that help you in holiness and purity? Do those and the things that don't. And for you, it's going to be different maybe than what it is for me or anybody else. Basically, the things that help you love Jesus more, do more of those. And the things that keep you from loving Jesus more, quit doing those. I mean, it's kind of simple. It's harder to do, right? It's easy for me to say, but it's harder to, to do. And, and, and that's why we've got to stay connected. We've got to stay connected to that great light, to Jesus. Serve him in holiness and serve him in righteousness all of our days. Worship him. Glorify him. Serve him fearlessly. If you have been bought by the blood of Christ, your standing with God is secure. You can't make him love you more, and you're not going to make him love you less. So stop worrying about that. And just serve him out of that right standing with God. Serve him from a place of righteousness. Look, you don't need me to give you another assignment and more to do. You're already worried about too much at home. Right? You don't need me to give you, here's 85 checklist things that if you do this, you'll be a better Christian. No. You need to serve him from a place of righteousness. You serve him uh, in in purity. And and you need to just trust that when you sin, he took care of that. He's not going to kick you out of the line for heaven. Because he already paid for it. If you trusted in that, it's covered. Now that doesn't give us license to freely sin. We shouldn't do that. That'd be taking the gospel for granted. We don't want to do that. But we need to get on serving without fear and loving Jesus and worshiping Jesus and, and structuring our lives around the gospel without fear because we know that we've been already taken care of. Worship him and glorify him. Serve him fearlessly. Be pure and holy as God is holy. Serve him because in Christ through his death on the cross, as a substitute for you. You were given Jesus' righteousness. Serve him in right standing before God. Serve him because he rose from the grave three days later. He was all the way dead and then was all the way alive by the power of God three days later. And that proved to us that God accepted his sacrifice. So if you even doubt, you're like, man, I don't know, was my sin, I'm a pretty bad sinner. I don't know if it was covered. He rose from the grave, which proved that God accepted that sacrifice on your behalf. You cannot... You cannot serve him fearlessly and serve him in purity and right standing. You're not going to do that and stay the same. He's going to change you. The word of God in the gospel changes us. It brings light where there is darkness and peace where there is worry and anxiety. So the question is, will you trust him today? I'm going to ask you all to stand up with me. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and then we're going to sing one final song together and celebrate the Christmas season. We're actually going to sing Joy to the World, and unless that's changed. We're going to sing Joy to the World. And, and let me tell you something about this song. This song, actually, we sing it all the time at Christmas. It's, 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 kind of, it's been a Christmas song for years. It's not really about Christmas. It's actually about the second coming of Jesus. When he, that's, that's, that's how it was written. It's about the, not the first advent, Christmas, it's about the second advent. When Jesus returns someday, sooner than it was yesterday, 
when he returns for his church, his followers, and we go spend eternity with him. And so let's just rejoice in that. This salvation that Zechariah sang about, prophesied about, is truly joy to the world. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for uh, this group of people that you've gathered together to worship you in your name. God, I pray that we would be people who magnify and glorify your name. God, I pray you would help us to trust you in all things. God, don't let us stay the same. Let us serve you faithfully. Let us serve you fearlessly and serve out of our right standing with you. God, if there's anybody here who's never trusted in you, they don't, maybe they've never heard the gospel, maybe they don't understand it yet, God, I pray you'd give them the boldness to step out and ask someone. But help our hearts believe to repent of our sin, turn away from our sin, and turn towards you, Jesus. It's in your holy and blessed name I pray.